A widow, about to lose her sons to a debtor, was desperate for the prophet's help. Her last possession was a jar of olive oil. Elisha told her to collect as many jars as she could. Then, God did more than she could imagine. Get ready to be blessed as we see God's ridiculous provision. Am I on? Excellent. How is everyone? Mm. Cool. I'm the youth guy, so I'm the, I look after high school and, and stuff. So I like to bring props. Um, the key to not using olive oil is to make sure you wash the bottle before you bring it in because uh, now I've got olive oil all over my hands. But anyway, we'll get used to it. How's everyone? Going good? Good morning. Excellent. We're going to continue Elisha part three. Uh, God's radical and ridiculous provision um, for people. But before we do that, I'm going to completely... Uh, press pause on that and just jump way off topic and tell you a cool story. Is that all right if I spend three minutes telling you a really, really cool story? Is that all right? Fantastic. Um, because one of the secrets, Mark's a great uh, coach at teaching people to communicate. He said, when you go down the communication path, every, every time you get off topic, you've got to get back on. So don't do it too many times. I'm like, all right, but I'm going to preempt that with saying I'm getting right off topic and I'll come back in a minute. When Colin and I both uh, moved here to, to Perth seven and a half years ago, we got involved with this church. We also, I also got involved with a basketball program down at the community centre. And uh, basketball from five to 15 years old, just coaching kids. And there's this one kid that I got to know probably a bit later on, so it's probably three or four years ago now. He's about this big when I met him. He's probably about nine or, or ten. Uh, his name was Henry. And, uh, and so I left, I've, I've stopped coaching for a while because life's too full with three kids. And I haven't seen Henry in a while. But lo and behold, Friday night, we're, we're chilling. We're running Friday night live for, for the youth out here. It's going nuts. We've got kids, we've got music, we've got our Xbox and PlayStation, we've got our basketball ring. I'm just talking to Baden. It's about quarter past seven, so we're just hanging out, having some fun, getting ready to get started. And uh, we're just at the door, and I see this figure riding up on a bike. I can see a hat, I can see a bike, uh, I can see a shirt. I can't see him because he's about as black as the ace of spades. And um, so as he comes up, and I'm like, who's this? And Baden's like, oh, someone riding up. And it's Henry. I haven't seen him in years. And Henry rocks up. And uh, if you get to know the indigenous community a bit, they're extremely friendly. See, Henry rocks up. Drops his bike at the door, backpack off, walks in. How's it going? What are you doing here? And he just walks straight on in. I'm like, I know you. I don't remember his name. I'm like, I know you from somewhere. And uh, Baden helped him take his bike from directly in front of the doorway. Just put it against the wall um, a bit. And he walks in. He has a look at the basketball. And he walks in and sees the PlayStation, the Xbox. And he stands there. He doesn't even sit down to play. He just looks at it and goes... He looks at me, kind of starting to leave, and I'm like, oh, doesn't he like that stuff? And he looks at me and goes, can I go get some friends? I'm like, okay. Gets on his bike and leaves again. I'm like, oh, that's the shortest Friday night live experience ever. About two minutes. Leaves, and I'm like, I wonder what's going to happen. Anyway, we do a bit of stuff, start playing some games and hanging out. And, and I was like, I was getting a bit anxious. I'm like, I wonder if he's going to turn up. But l- literally 25 minutes later, this pile of kids rock up at the front door. Like he, he literally rides in off the street, goes and picks up five more friends, and these six kids rock up. 
So we're, we're sitting at about 60% first time guests, Friday Night Live, where I'm just like, this is what I prayed for, but I literally did not expect that to happen, right? And, um, and I kid you not, these kids were so well behaved and they listened, five of them listened to what Jess Everson had to preach about. The other one was, he's a bit younger, we told him to come to kids this morning, but he was a bit ADD, I think, and um, but they were well behaved, they loved every bit of it, and um, talk about someone who invites their friends along to cool Elevate events, hey, thank you. All right, really intentionally, I want to shut that door and let's go back to Elisha, okay? I just, I just had to tell you that story. So this um, Elisha part three, it relates to me about stuff I'm going through right now. I want to connect that with, with hopefully the, the story that we're going to talk about this morning. I wanted to just show that as a leader and as a, as a guy that gets up and preaches, like I'm not perfect. Like not everything's perfect in my life. I'm not perfect and my life's not perfect. And God challenges me in as much, um, as much stuff as, as you guys do. Um, but when we talk about being desperate for God, we're talking about a place that things aren't going well. And my cautious thought during the week was, I don't want us to sound all doom and gloom. There's hope at the end, all right? Please don't think, oh, he's just going to talk about all the bad stuff. No, I'm not going to talk about all the bad stuff, but I am going to talk a bit about it. Have you ever had one of those seasons in life where stuff just doesn't, seem to go right. I, uh, Mark is a super planner and he preempted this message months ago and I looked at it and I was going to preach this and, and at the time I was doing it, I was looking at leaving my job. I'd been there for about seven and a half years, um, serving God, full-time ministry and I thought, you know what? I'm leaving and I'm preaching this message and I reckon that when I get up to preach this message, because I serve God so faithfully for so long, I'm going to go, guys, I left my ministry job and God did so much cool stuff in my life. And I, I presumed this was going to happen and it didn't. And I was like, bummer. And find some other stories to talk about. But, but it's cool because God has been faithful in other ways. And I was like, how am I going to preach this message of provision when stuff doesn't seem to be going right in my own life? And there's some stuff to learn um, out of the Bible um, from the story that we're going we're gonna to look at this morning. So if you're running on empty, and if you just think that God seems to be silent in your life at the moment, and if there seems to be doors that are shutting, I'm going to pray for you right now and pray that we can learn from, from a, one of Elisha's awesome stories. Hey God, thank you so much for bringing us here together. Help me to speak clearly and confidently and slowly. God, I want to ask you, build our faith for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I've had to learn a new skill today, and that's how to drink coffee with a Madonna mic on. It gets in the way, but Mark does it so seamlessly. It's really good. Hey, if you're following along in your Bible, a new version or whatever, jump on to uh, the second book of Kings, chapter 4. You can follow along. But um, we're going to look at this, this story of this woman. Now, I'm going to call her woman all morning. I'm not a male chauvinist pig. She just, her name is not referenced in the Bible, okay? I'm sorry. Please don't hold it against me, but there's no name attached to this, to this woman. And as a general observation, something I notice about the Bible is that there's multiple stories in the Bible where crazy miracles happen to people with no names. And what I tend to notice is that the people with no names, the worship and the glory seems to go to God. 
more. Don't know. But when someone's name would say, oh, such and such did this. Paul did that. Moses did that. But when there's no name attached, it's like, man, look at what God did in this person's life. So one day, the widow of the Lord of the... One day, the widow of one of the Lord's prophets said to Elisha, you know that before my husband died, he was a follower of yours and a worshiper of the Lord. But he owed a man some money. And now that man is on his way to take my two sons as his slaves. You know, I think in life, um, our problems vary in levels of difficulty. We have high school level problems. OMG, I only have seven likes on my Instagram selfie. Oh dear. And there are often problems that aren't related to us. Susie likes Bobby, but I think Mary's going to get crushed in the process. We have TAFE level problems. I've bought a car and now I have to fix it. The people with rent with are obnoxious and they leave their hair everywhere in the bathroom. I have to clean up after myself. Jordan, mate. Like problems that are a little bit more difficult, but, but they're not life-threatening. And then we have full-on university graduate level problems. A family member is on their deathbed and we have to need to fly them in from overseas. The bank is foreclosing on my house next month. The ultrasound of my baby shows some abnormalities and we're not sure how to deal with it. This lady's problem, one of her husbands has died, she owes a man some money and she comes to speak to Elijah. Her problem is beyond exacerbated confusion and indecision. It has got her to a place of utter despair and desperation. Like it's, it's beyond, oh dear, not enough likes on my selfie. Two, things are happening and this stuff is getting real, okay? She's past the point of caring about her dignity. Like, she, she doesn't care. There are other things at stake here. She doesn't care so much about herself. She doesn't care what people think. She's at a place of com- complete humility. She stopped trying to do it herself. It's like, oh, I can work my way out of this. I can develop a business strategy or a, or a debt-free plan. Or, no, it's, it's beyond all of that. And she comes up to Elisha, you know my husband was a God-fearing man, and what are you going to do about it? Some of the things we can take out of this, she probably knew Elisha. So when she came and approached him, she probably knew him. Elisha was a prophet and probably one of the senior prophets. Um, her husband was a prophet as well. So her husband and Elisha probably worked together. So she probably knew him when she approached him. It's not like a weird stranger. So, Elisha, look, here's my situation. Um, theologians and historians have put the pieces together. She's probably the, the wife of Obadiah. So if you were to get your Bible and flick through a bit further, there's a book called Obadiah. He has, he's a prominent prophet. He's a smart church leader and he's very well respected. He has his own book of the Bible. Okay. So that's how, that's what he's like. And like, he's obviously committed his life to full-time ministry. They're not broke because he's stupid. They're broke because he spent his life serving God and helping people in need. When she comes to Elijah, one of the things you notice is he, she, he probably hasn't been dead long, all right? So Obadiah hasn't been dead long. If, if he, she owes people money and she's got two young sons, if they were old enough to earn money, they would be off earning the family money, but they're not old enough to earn money. But they're also 
old enough, like not toddlers, are old enough to be sold into slavery. So these kids are about 10. So she's got these two young boys who are going to be taken from her. She can't provide. Culturally, uh, if you got married in their teens, you got a 10-year-old kid, she's under 30. She's talking about a young mum with two young boys and they're about to be taken off her and her husband's been serving in long-time ministry, giving everything he has. She's mourning the death of her husband. She's like, God, what are you doing? And these creditors are just like nailing the, just putting the nails in the final coffins. When she, there's two elements, I think, to her request at the moment. One is she needs money. Sure, it's practical. Um, God, uh, like I need, I need 50 bucks. I need a hand. I, I've got a debt to pay. But, is there some, but if someone who fears God, there's more to it than that. And I think when she comes and speaks to Elisha, like, I think she's tried the, can I borrow some money from somewhere else? Can I do a bit of this? Can I do it? When she comes to Elisha, she wants answers. She wants answers. God, where are you in my life right now? Like, sure, she needs stuff. But as for someone who fears God and, and you say, hey, I trust God for this, I trust God for that, I believe in God, I proclaim God, she's like, all that doesn't make sense right now. Every night that Obadiah came home, he, he taught this to his kids, to his wife. He said, babe, I've gone out today, I've helped people, I've, I've proclaimed your name. There was a time where he stood up and prophesied over the entire nation of Israel, because that's what was recorded in the Bible. That book of, was his prophecy to the whole nation of Israel. And he comes home and he teaches his kids and his wife that, and that's what he says, and yet it's not happening in his own life. Like, I'd be, would you be struggling with that if that was you right now? Yeah, okay. I would be, I would be annoyed. For me, it seems to make trouble times so much more emotionally draining when you serve the Lord and trouble still arises. Next verse. Here's Elisha's response. Maybe there's something I can do to help, Elisha said. What do you have in your house? Sir, I have nothing but a small bottle of olive oil. Hence I brought the olive oil. This is probably about what she had, a small bottle, small jar of olive oil. That's what she's got to work with. Ridiculous idea. One of the things that we need when things aren't going well in life, we need a trusted external perspective is paramount to clearly navigating high-level problems. She goes to, she's like, she's exacerbated. She's like, what's going on? Elisha, what can I do? Elisha's like, what do you have? Like that trusted external perspective to say, right, just chill, just calm. Let's have a look at this. And he's like, you've got some olive oil. Let's work with that. So Elisha told her, ask your neighbors for their empty jars. And after you've borrowed as many as you can, go home and shut the door behind you and your sons. Then begin filling the jars with oil and set each one aside as you fill it. So because I'm the youth guy, I like props, right? Because that's, that's how we relate to young people. But, so I've got some stuff I keep fishing gear in. Um, this, is my, this is some buckets. 
And let's pretend that the lady's, um, my bad, let's pretend the lady's gone and got these buckets off uh, her neighbours. And Elisha says, what have you got? Now, two things. One, Elisha has developed a great exit strategy if things don't go well. Go shut the door and I'll wait over here. Because if things don't happen, I'm going that way, right? Smart dude right there. But go and ask you, like, she's got a variety of jars, like, and it would be more than that. Like, she went to all her neighbors. There's much more than that. If I was the lady, I'd be a tad confused. Now, Elisha's got two, two options here, two options for dealing with this situation. One, here's what you owe. Go pay the creditors. Let's go. Two, he teaches her to use what she's got. Instead, he gives her a hand up instead of a handout. Rather than just paying the debt, he gives her a way to enable her to actually fix the problem herself and build her own faith. I read this, I did some research, believe it or not, I went to, read this commentary, and, and this just said it really well. This was done by miracle, but so as to show what is the best, me- best method to assist those who are in distress, which is to help them improve by their own industry what little they have. To help them deal with what they've got and to get their own way out of it. There was something else I was going to say. I hope it comes up later. One of the things Elisha did when he got these jars was he created a space for God to move. Without doing that, like, there's nothing for God to do. Like, he can miraculously, like, Elisha can give money. But Elisha's created a situation now in this woman's life. He said, you know what? You've now got an opportunity for God to work in your life, to take this and turn it into that. Now, you might be thinking, I'm going to create a great opportunity for God to work in my life. I'm going to go put a big TV on my credit card and God's going to repay that credit card miraculously. No, don't hear me saying that, okay? Please twist my... That's not what I'm encouraging you to do. But this woman clearly has an opportunity for God to, to work. So let's continue reading. The woman left. Later, when she and her sons were back inside their house, the two, bought, the two sons brought her the jars and she began filling them. At last, she said to one of her sons, bring me another jar. We don't have any more, he answered. And the oil stopped flowing from the small bottle. Side note, when we stop giving God opportunities to move in our life, the oil stops flowing. My believing affects my receiving. She, at that point in her life, believed absolutely that she could receive a miracle from God. If she didn't believe it, she wouldn't have received it. She wouldn't have asked, and she just would have been like, oh, whatever, no, I'm going to do something else. If she doesn't believe it, she's definitely not going to receive it. Our, op- our response is that we have a faith obligation to believe. It's God's choice how he answers. Elisha, it had nothing to do with him. He just handed out the instruction. He's like, go get some jars. And it was God who kept filling the oil up. He was the one that just, kept, God was the one that just kept filling and filling and filling. If it was me, and I was in the house, someone said, go shut the door, two sons, and someone said, go fill those up with that. What would you do? Like, 
Like, did you pray? You didn't have time to develop a business strategy or something to get out of debt. Like, do you kiss your, kiss your boys goodbye and say, look, if this doesn't work, I don't know what's going to happen right now. You're on your last legs. Would you even pick the bottle up? Last week, we're talking about digging ditches. This week, you've got to pick up the bottle. Like, pick it up and pour it in there. None of that makes any sense to me. Like, it just doesn't. I just, it just doesn't make any sense to pick up a bottle and try pouring something small into something bigger. My kids are always getting something bigger and turn it into something smaller, and it overflows everywhere. But it's really funny. They learn, they learn really quick. You can't take something small and put it into something bigger and miraculously. That doesn't usually happen. When we go out into our local community, when God tells us, Jesus told us to go and make disciples, and he tells us to go and bring them into this church so they can hear about Jesus, they can hear about a God that loves them. We've got people out there, Mark said it earlier, we've got people out there that are hopeless, they don't have forgiveness in their life, they don't have any form of love, they don't have any sense of restoration or destiny or a future. And we bring them in here. We need to make sure that they are not getting full jars, we need to teach them to pick up the bottle. If we're giving them what they want, that's not helping. We don't want to feed a culture of consumerism where they come and they sit and they consume what, heaven forbid, I've got to say. We want to teach people that when they come in, and this is exactly what Elisha did. Elisha said, I want you to pick up the bottle and create faith because funds solve temporary solutions, but faith create solutions for eternity. With the door shut, there is and no name to this woman. All the glory and the praise goes to God. There's no there's an absolute accountability and transparency here that, that nothing else could have happened. There's no way in the world that that, that there's a, another way of filling that stuff up apart from God. Like you walk in and stuff just happens. I believe God provided mercy and grace. Mercy is God providing what we need, but grace is just providing above and beyond what we'd ever expect. And I ask myself the question, why did God use oil? Like why olive oil? Like surely there's, okay, like some cows or some oxen or some goats or another husband or something like to fix the problem, like, I believe he used olive oil because she's prayed for everything else. Is there a family member that can help me out? Is there a bank loan? Can I extend the creditors? What I owe the creditor is, can my, can my tomatoes grow really big this year so I can sell them? Is there, no, there's nothing else. She's prayed for it all and nothing else has worked. And I believe it's, it's just, this was the last thing that she would have looked at. And God said, you know what, I'm going to lie. I'm going to use the last thing that you can think of. So for me, last week, Friday afternoon, my, my life looks like, well, like four o'clock Friday afternoon, like I'm, I'm left, I've left work, uh, we got youth here, and Colleen calls me, babe, I'm broken down the side of the road, car's broken down. God, I'm serving you in ministry. Why is this happening? This car has been so reliable for so long. 
and yet this is happening. Like, I just don't get it. I'm prepping for my message this week, trying to get stuff done. And uh, my phone slipped out of my pocket at work and smashed the screen. I've only had it for two months. And it's not the end of the world, but I love my phone. (laughs) I literally, I was so angry. I was like, I don't care if it's just the screen. I literally just about picked it up and hurled it against this house I was working on. Our house air conditioner blows out more dust than it does cold air at the moment. We've only just discovered that since buying our house. My job, while I found great purpose in it initially, digging holes in dirt, mixing up cement, it's lost a great deal of purpose in my life at the moment. It's like, look, I enjoy it. It pays the bills and that's it. And uh, But apart from that, I'm a long-term planner. I like to see the future. I don't, there's certain things I trust God with, but I really like to know what's coming up a long-term head. But the future for me doesn't seem clear. It's really cloudy. So as a leader, I'm like, all this stuff is so true. And there's two things that I've taken out of this message for me and for this woman with no name. One, when you don't have what you really want, God is what you need. All these things we want, and God is what we need. His provision for his ridiculous provision for stuff, so far above and beyond what we could ever hope for, whatever we could imagine, whatever. Like the last verse of that reads After she told Elisha what had happened, he said, Sell the oil. And use part of the money to pay what you owe. You and your sons can live on what is left. Here's the debt. Here's a whole lot more. If Elisha had just paid the debt off, yeah, cool. But here's so much more. Like you can live off what is left. You can set up a life for your sons. You can send them to private school. You can buy them iPads and stuff, probably not in them days, but you can buy like, you can buy tablets, like stone tablets, there you go, there's one for free, (laughs) yeah, here's the next thing I learned, stop waiting for what you want, start working with what you have, but if I, and Mark did this in, in, in part one, go read the podcast, if I have this, then I can do that. If I can get, if I can just, but I want you to do it this way, God. God's like, I've given you what you need. You need to apply faith to that. Small bottle of oil plus faith is miracle. All right? I've got a car that works, just. But I've got a car that works. If I can apply faith to that, I'll be fine. If I can just keep working my job, and paying the bills, the next step will become clearer. If I can take my phone to the Apple store and get it fixed, I'll be fine. <laughs> the world teaches us to think outside the box. Who said that? Think outside the box. Get creative. Start innovating. Yes, yeah, what we teach kids at university, yeah? I'm seeing blank faces, yeah? Think outside the box. 
What does Elisha teach the woman? Think inside the box. What do you have, not what do you want? As we sung earlier, your love never runs out and never gives up on me. For me, because I'm a casual employee, um, so I get paid weekly, we're we're having a two-week break over Christmas. So I'm like, being a bit of the planner that I am, I'm like, okay, if I'm not getting paid, I still need to pay these amount of bills for two weeks. I've got 10 weeks leading up to Christmas. I reckon I need to save, save 200 bucks a week. Like, for me, like, that's a pretty decent amount of money to save. 400 bucks out of every paycheck. No, I'm like, that's, that's my weekly house repayment. I can't save that a week. That's not fun to look at as a father and a provider and a husband. Hey, I'm, I'm working hard. I should be providing for my family. I served God for seven and a half years in full-time ministry, spending hours away from my family and hours underpaid and all this sort of stuff. And you give everything. And Colleen texted me one day and said, because um, Colleen's on Centrelink getting the family benefit stuff, we have to predict how much I'm going to earn. And so we over-predicted, and then they tax you on that. And then at the end of the year, what they do is they reimburse you if there's any extras. And we well and truly over-predicted what we were going to earn. And she texted me one day and said, how much Centrelink's going to give us back? Thank you, money from the government. And I was like, it was twice, it was twice what we needed to save leading up to the Christmas period. The job that I have, although it's purposeless, I find at the moment, I had that job lined up before I left my last one. Like I, like I walked out of one and into another. I was like, wow. God just needs empty jars to work with. And Paul wrote this. He wrote to a church in Corinth and he said this, For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So every light in every darkness is personified in Jesus, his son. We, the church, now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars, just like the fragile clay jars this woman used. Paul is describing us as fragile clay jars, containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. See, a fragile clay jar that is pressed and crushed and perplexed should break. But the light of Jesus that's inside it means that it's not going to be destroyed or broken down. Just like this woman had a debt to pay. She had a, um, she had a debt to pay to some creditors. And before, and I think every one of us, owes a debt to God for the sin and the stuff that we have in our life. Um, and if you haven't made that commitment to follow Jesus, I'm going to give you that opportunity now. Um, but we, we owe God a debt for the things that we do wrong. God sent Jesus 
Jesus cleared that debt, but it takes faith in him and it takes a commitment, a lifelong commitment to believing in God and to following his ways um, for us to clear that debt. I'm just going to look around for a moment. If you want to follow Jesus, if you're like, you know what, I got debt. I got emotional and spiritual debt building up in my life and I need to get rid of it. If that's you, just slip your hand up and I'll see you and then we'll pray together. Elisha tossed a stick into the water. God caused the axe head to float to the surface. Get ready to get your spiritual edge back and experience God's ridiculous recovery. (laughs) Very witty promo. Get your spiritual edge back. Next week, we're talking about a tale of ridiculous recovery. You've heard probably heard that it's not over until the fat lady sings. Well, let me give you some even better news. It's not over until God says it's over. God is the master of having the last word on every matter. And I want you to be here to learn some principles from Elisha's life that you can apply. You might have some dreams that you think are lost. Well, they're not over until God declares them over. You might have some relationships that you think are fading away that are important to you. They're not over until God says they're over. You may have some job aspirations, some financial goals. Peter, Colleen, I'm serious. They're not over until God says they're over. And uh, next week we're going to learn what that's all about. And I tell you what, I'm loving this.